Hi everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal, where each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices. I'm your host, Naveen Agarwal, principal and founder at Achieve, where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. In this episode, I'm joined by Florian Tolkmit, and we are talking about clinical evaluation of medical devices. This topic has become very important, especially in light of the EU MDR regulation in Europe. So we talked about many different challenges people are facing about clinical evaluation and complying with EU MDR. We also talked about how to interface clinical evaluation with the risk management process. We had this discussion as part of a LinkedIn audio event in front of a live audience. You're about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So uh, Florian, uh, and I, I wanna share this story with the audience because I think this is interesting how we are bringing people together through this forum. Because I know you attended one of these sessions uh, several weeks ago where we talked about clinical evaluation and interface <laughs> with risk management. And you actually uh, were very open to sharing information about what's happening. You came on and shared uh, this this wonderful information about the new ISO standard being developed. And I followed up with you uh, for a more detailed conversation and you, you agreed. So guys, what is happening here is that all of us, all of us have interesting experiences, insights to share. You know, we have expertise in different areas. And Florian, I can't thank you enough for raising your hand and saying, yes, I'm willing to talk about that. So, so welcome again and thank you. Yeah, let's see who's raised, who's going to raise hands yes, today. <laughs> yes, I, I, hope, I hope we have a good discussion. So, Florian, clinical evaluation seems like it's becoming a big deal. Why is that? And uh, why do people find it challenging right now? Well, I think uh, I have to put on the European perspective here. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, all for all those manufacturers that want to bring their devices to the European market, uh, you know that we have the EU MDR, the Regulation for Medical Devices, that was uh, published in 2017. And there was a lot of emphasis that was put on uh, the topic of clinical in general, um, and especially, of course, uh, the clinical evaluation. And there's a guidance document uh, in Europe, the METAF 271, uh, specifying how clinical evaluation should be performed. And well, with the uh, UMDR uh, launched in 2017, manufacturers kind of all of a sudden had the duty to really invest more time into performing their clinical evaluations and uh, looking at the data available for their devices and uh, yeah, using that data to show that they are in compliance with the EU MDR and showing that the device performs uh, as intended by the manufacturer and uh, yeah, that the safety profile of the device is also acceptable. And this is really something that was also there before the MDR, but with uh, the launch of the EU MDR, it has really gotten a lot more emphasis. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Due to this, uh, also the notified bodies are looking a lot more detailed into how manufacturers are doing clinical evaluations. Mm -hmm. And if I look, if I look back to maybe 15 years ago, uh, when the year 14971 was a big topic, 
uh, maybe not uh, 15 years, but uh, in, in 2012, the year updated version came out. I remember that notified bodies really jumped at it. And uh, afterwards, step by step in every audit, it was a big topic. And uh, yeah, man manufacturers were challenged in that direction. Now with the EU MDR, the big topic is clinical evaluation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I also hear about uh, Florian clinical investigation. What's the difference between clinical evaluation and clinical investigation? Yeah, sometimes there's confusion about that, especially if you don't deal with that every day. So clinical investigation is actually uh, the tool to generate uh, clinical data on human subjects. <laughs> uh, so it's a really specific task that uh, you do where your device is used on people uh, and you are really looking to collect the data. And there's also an ISO standard for it. It's uh, ISO 14155. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> yeah, the studies need to be performed according to that standard. And of course, um, according to uh, the Declaration of Helsinki, which sets the uh, ethic standards uh, for it. And then in comparison to that, the clinical evaluation uh, looks at all data that is available and that includes data from the clinical investigations but also data from scientific publications for example uh, also from uh, post-market clinical follow-up activities so this is really um, yeah taking into consideration everything that is there mm -hmm. including the data that you have collected got it got it so is it fair to say that clinical investigation, some people might also call it clinical trial. Is it one and the same or is there a difference between the two? Well, I would say it's the same. Uh, I've, I've heard a couple of discussions and there's also another term, clinical study, clinical investigation, um, clinical trial. So I think uh, in the pharma world, maybe uh, clinical trial or clinical studies used more frequently in the EU MDR, the term clinical investigation is used, and mm -hmm. that's the type of investigation where you need an approval of a uh, of an authority before you start with it. Got you. Uh, Got you. So, I mean, maybe you could make a differentiation, but I think uh, from general understanding, I would just uh, use it interchangeably. Got you. And now, clinical investigation uh, is could happen at any time during design and development and also even post-market. Is that right? Um, yes, I would say yes. But um, you you have to follow a kind of sequence uh, in order to do it right. <laughs> so if you develop a new device and you're at the very beginning just building your first prototypes, uh, then maybe it's not the best idea to start right away with a clinical investigation uh, where you include hundreds of people. Uh, because you still might change the design, right? So the, the very first thing would be a feasibility study if your concept works at all. And then before you go into conformity assessment, you would do a bigger investigation in order to really show safety and performance of the device. I see. And then later when your uh, device is ready for the market, then you would do a so-called um, PMCF <laughs> um uh, study and there you, they usually use the term study and not investigation anymore 
but as I said, basically it's it's the same concept behind it, and you still would use the ISO fourteen one five five as the guidance in order to plan and perform and also do the report of this, the study afterwards. Great. So I, what I'm hearing now is uh, there's an expectation of a lot more different activities throughout the device lifecycle. So I'm, I'm guessing yeah. that planning becomes very important, right? We have to plan yeah, absolutely. really well. Absolutely. And I mean, there's also a, a bit of confusion sometimes to when to start with clinical evaluation as a process. Mm -hmm. So clinical evaluation is actually uh, also a process. It's it's not only a document because some some people uh, use the term and they only think of a document, which yes. is the clinical evaluation report um, that resembles the end of the process, right? Uh -huh. But uh, you you do a lot more. So you do a clinical evaluation plan, then you perform activities to collect the data, uh, to evaluate it, and then at the end you have the report writing. And in in terms of the life cycle of the medical device, you would start with clinical evaluation at a very early stage, uh, even without having own clinical data yet. Uh, and what you do then is you look at what is the current status uh, of similar devices of alternative treatments, and that's called state-of-the-art evaluation. Mm -hmm. And there we already see an interface to risk management, right. which some people are not really aware of but if we look into the risk management standard then we are supposed to um, set acceptance criteria uh, for risks and these should be based on state-of-the-art and how would you do a state-of-the-art evaluation if you don't apply the clinical evaluation process that has that as an integral part so this is one of the important interfaces that uh, we should point out today that is awesome. So what I'm hearing you say then, because risk management also requires planning, right? Risk management plan is a very important document in our risk management file. So we would expect to see some planning about clinical evaluation, state-of-the-art investigations as part of a risk management planning activity. Is, is that right or is it done kind of separately? Well, I, I would expect that there's at least a link between the two, right? Because <laughs> if you do it separately, then uh, what could happen is that uh, let's imagine it's a big company, you have a risk management department, you have the clinical department, and they both want state-of-the-art evaluation, and they plan it, and they do it separately. But it shouldn't be done separately, it's the same thing. Yeah. So there should be a link and an alignment between the departments, so they do the work once, and they set acceptance criteria that are both valid for risk management, and that can also be used in clinical evaluation. Nice. And I, I think this is the point that Alexei also emphasized when I talked to him, you know, a few weeks ago now. And those of you who missed that conversation, guys, uh, are recording and highlights of that conversation are available on the Let's Talk Risk newsletter. Uh, he, he emphasized that clinicians and engineers and everybody needs to work together starting from the early phase of design and development. Right. That, sh that would be a current kind of best practice. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, don't just wait with clinical evaluation until I don't know when, mm -hmm. um, but start it early in, in development. So that is really key. Nice. So uh, Florian, what are maybe some of the other challenges that come to mind uh, right now? As you mentioned, EUMDR has emphasized this 
in terms of compliance to EMTR. Where do you think people are finding particularly uh, challenging right now to try to comply with this? Well, actually, um, first of all, I think it's uh, yeah, it's key to really understand the requirements for clinical evaluation. And for that, you really have to dig into not only the MDR, but also in, in different guidance documents. So there's these uh, MDCG guidance documents that uh, are published on the European Commission website. And there are some specific ones that are applicable for clinical evaluation. So that's really important to also read and understand those. And one that is of uh, yeah utmost importance is the MDCG 2020-13. So they all have different numbers when they were released. And that is actually uh, directed towards the notified bodies. And it's a checklist that the notified bodies use to check uh, and evaluate the clinical evaluation documentation of the manufacturers. Yeah. And it contains all the requirements from MDR and a bit more, I would say, even though these documents should not uh, come up with new requirements, but there are some administrative things in there. And uh, the notified body reviewers are really forced to use this checklist or this evaluation guideline when they go through the clinical evaluation documentation of manufacturers. And if you want to include that into your release process as a manufacturer, it would help because um, then you put on the perspective of the notified body and you can maybe avoid questions that uh, are unnecessary by really yeah, putting on the glasses of the reviewer and um, yeah, trying to uh, yeah, fix everything that they could potentially find in your documentation. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm thinking and that I'm thinking that this yeah. checklist can also be like a good roadmap for planning if you start early on. Yes, absolutely, it can help, uh, and it it gives you the possibility to really understand what the notified body reviewers will look for, right? And if you know that from the beginning on, then you can set up your documentation in a way that you provide all the information that is necessary for them to, uh, yeah, to really go through and hopefully not have too many questions. Right. And I think what I would just add to what you have just shared, Florian, is that let's not treat this as like a compliance activity. I think let's treat this as something that will help us develop a good process, manage risks, identify risks, and then deliver the documentation that the notified bodies are looking as a result of that. it's not Our, our purpose is not to just create a checklist or a document, right? That should be the spirit. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the challenge that I mentioned was just focusing on formal aspects. And that's yeah. what we really see a lot of times that the, the documentation that manufacturers provide is formally not okay. And uh, all that the reviewers focus on are actually formal aspects. <laughs> but then on the other hand side, of course, there's the issue that there's not sufficient clinical data that was generated in the past. And yeah. many manufacturers yeah, really struggle uh, because previously under the medical device directive, it was basically accepted to use data from so-called equivalent devices that were not really equivalent. And now with uh, the EU MDR, this concept falls apart and manufacturers are facing the situation that 
the data that they could use in the past is not usable anymore and then mm. they don't have enough data to show compliance. Wow, this is awesome. This is a great point worth repeating that we can't oh. hang our head on this equivalence argument anymore. Expectation is to have real data, real evidence, right? Yeah, own, own data and uh, it has to be sufficient. Perfect, and, perfect. Uh, there's also a big discussion what is sufficient and you cannot really answer it like that because that depends on each specific device and the manufacturers kind of requested to set uh, yeah, the, the benchmark for what is sufficient uh, him or herself and then show that the data collected afterwards uh, complies with the, with the set benchmarks. Got it, got it. Okay, so uh, this is perfect. So Florian, I'm going to start inviting people to uh, our virtual stage. And I know uh, Marissa has already requested to speak, so I'm going to invite her. But, yeah, for uh, 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so while we are waiting, uh, could you give us a very quick update on what's happening with this new um, ISO 18969? Yeah, okay. So um, there is a working group um, that started working on uh, a new ISO standard for clinical evaluation. Um, and it was launched in November last year. And there have been uh, one, two, two meetings already. One was in January, the other one in March. And the next one is uh, in about two or three weeks from now. Um, so the first ones were, or the very first one was a virtual meeting. Uh, the second one uh, really took place face to face, but kind of as a hybrid meeting. And the next one is hopefully a face to face meeting where lots of people, uh, yeah, from all over the place come in because it's an international standard. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a draft uh, at the very beginning uh, written by one of the working group members uh, but during the discussions uh, in the first meetings we've come to the conclusion that uh, we should probably stick closer to uh, what was written in MEDEF 271 uh, which is so to say the gold standard for clinical evaluation still even though it's not 100% matching what we see in uh, the EU MDR. But this will probably be the basis for uh, creating the standard. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next meeting in a few weeks and see where we will go. And I'm happy to share some of the insights uh, after that meeting um, mm -hmm. and see how we proceed. Thank you. That's great. All right, guys. So uh, I have uh, Marissa here. So Marissa, welcome. And please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind. Hi, thanks for um, letting me on. My name is Marissa Mazzetti. I'm the director of clinical affairs at a small medical device company. Um, and I wanted to chat about thresholds and what you're seeing in terms of, Florian, you mentioned the connection between post-market surveillance and risk, and we're having a really hard time creating thresholds um, you know, across devices, across multiple risks, um, to then hold our PSUR to you know, to state that we're not exceeding thresholds for certain risks. So I was just wondering where people are getting the inspiration for thresholds from. I know the ISO 14971 gives, you know, it should come from clinical evidence and come from other devices and it doesn't help that much. It just gives examples of where they yeah. come from. So I'm just wondering, you know, what uh, 
what you're seeing and if you have any ideas of you know where such those, those thresholds should come from such a great question marissa so mm-hmm. florian go ahead if you have any thoughts to share on this yeah it's really one of the the main questions so to say that we also see in uh, clinical evaluation because uh, there you need to uh, come up with uh, I, I will call them benchmark parameters now uh, and they should also be based on the state of the art so basically what you do is you look at state of the art and that includes similar devices alternative uh, treatment methods and things like that and uh, you look at the data from these products and uh, based on that you derive the acceptance criteria or the benchmarks uh, that you then weigh your own product uh, against right and i think um, that it would be the perfect world i know that we're not there yet but i think it would be the perfect world if these uh, benchmarks that you're deriving from state of the art are in alignment with risk management with clinical evaluation with the thresholds that you are using in post-market surveillance, uh, that all processes are really aligned to each other. But as you correctly said, it's really hard to do. And uh, I don't think that I've seen any manufacturer that has like the, the, the perfect world that is already functioning from beginning to end. But this is where I think we need to go to mm-hmm. uh, also in order to uh, yeah, make use of synergies between departments and not create redundant work and different processes. Got you. So, right. um, lot of lot of challenges in this area. I know post market is not necessarily easy. And actually, that's I have a lot of experience in this area as well, and I know it's very challenging. So, we'll definitely talk more about uh, this topic and maybe learn a few best practices. Uh, and please, you know, that's that's the purpose of this platform. If we talk to each other and we share best practices, we can learn from each other. So uh, with that, um, I'm going to invite uh, Juan, Juan uh, Dakage. I'm sorry if I didn't say your name correctly, but uh, please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind. Thank you, Naveen. You actually you actually said it right. My name is Juan Dakash. Um, I am a um, been working with product safety and medical safety for over 10 years now. And I want to thank you guys for setting this up and Florian for you to invite this to be seen as a holistic process. I think historically we have been focusing on safety or in quality or in clinical or in regulatory or in preclinical as an individual forest, as an individual tree in a forest. And I think we're now moving to to zoom out and look at those different sources of information that are the forest in order to be able to determine that our products are safe. And I've always said this, and I have my team members on on this call, that really safety and quality are not independent of each other. So what you said, Florian, I think is critical in delivering the message that we have to start integrating and creating a cross-functional collaboration around risk and around risk management. We technically, from, from, from our perspective, from a medical perspective or a product safety perspective are technically that glue that is able to sit in the whole life cycle of the process, either from the new idea process, the pre-launch setting, the, the, you know, the risk assessment, the harms list, the, the you know, DFMEAs, the risk assessment matrix, and all our living documents. We provide 
that sort of input to that list. But because it's a living document, we work with our quality members to determine yeah. that initial risk assessment. How do we mitigate it? And what information do we bring in order to make our product safe? So I think it's very important for everybody to understand what is risk, how to mitigate it, and how to work as a cross-functional team player. So okay. thank you Got for this. It. Ron, thank you so much for sharing this. And uh, I really appreciate you making these comments and uh, sharing this insight. And at a leadership level, you know, we need to hear this. And I'll share a personal story with all of you guys. I'm an engineer by training and I've done risk management for more than 10 years. And I tell everybody, I did not learn to do risk management right until I started working hand in hand with medical safety colleagues. And I was very fortunate to work like that. And I, the, the point you are bringing right now, Juan, is that we have to collaborate. It's not optional anymore, right? And we have to create an environment and that's where leadership comes in. So thank you. Thank you again for sharing this. Uh, Ed, I want to invite you to share what you have in mind. Please go ahead. Ed, can you uh, unmute your mic, please? There we are. Here we I are. Find, find the button. Um, yeah, uh, one had some really good points. And um, uh, the fact that it is uh, a collaborative uh, activity that we do is, is really the key to it. And 14971 has uh, written all over the place in it that's about judgment. There's a lot of judgment that has to take place because the science of risk is not uh, like design, okay? It is much um, more, um, I don't know what the right word would be, but there's so much that, that goes into identifying the risk management activities and then tying it in to other places. And one of the things that I might mention is that uh, Christy Johnson and I, who's on here right now too, I see, um, released an article last week on MedDevice Online about the interconnections between 14971 and 13485. And um, it's a real rat's nest. Mm -hmm. There's so many places that we we connect together. Um, and and as, as once said, there's so many different documents out there we've got to keep up to date and it's all uh, a moving target because uh, when we change one thing then impacts something somewhere else yeah in the design and and so this interconnection this understanding their connection becomes very important and working as a team yeah is absolutely key to this we have to work together and medical is uh one of the backbones of risk management and and um, actually clear back at intended use. We need to um, get medical input there yeah. to make sure that the product we are developing is something that medical and clinical can use. Yeah. Are we, are we developing something that they can use? Well, then the next part is, is it usable? So now we got usability engineering coming in yeah. to make sure that, so so we've got so many connections here that the, the design is not an engineering activity anymore. Yeah, It is a team activity that includes lots of different um, skill sets yeah. uh, that need to work together 
on a continual basis so I to think, make it happen. Yeah, I like, think, Ed, you are emphasizing a very key point, and I totally agree with that. The question I have, and I think I'm going to pursue that in future conversations, it is my experience that medical safety is not yet involved, not yet integrated in the risk management process. And that's my experience, okay? So I take full ownership of that. You guys might have a different opinion, and I would love to hear that. But I know we are running short on time, so I'm going to move on. Uh, I do want to reserve some time from some housekeeping points and closing comments from Florian. But John, you have raised your hand, so I want to bring you on stage and uh, have you quickly share what um, what you have in mind. Please, go ahead. Sure, thanks for uh, for having me. So I just wanted to emphasize as a clinical evaluation activity, design validation, um, just classifying clinical evaluation as design validation, helping to incorporate that into the design process, and therefore it leads to risk and mitigation. I've found emphasizing that with project teams helps emphasize clinical evaluation and tie it in mm-hmm. early in the process. So those design inputs can be gathered and, yeah. and anticipated. So John, what I'm hearing, you, I think you are, you are breaking up. What I'm hearing you say is that make integrate this also with the project management process. That's what I'm hearing Absolutely. you say so that it doesn't get dropped, right? Can you confirm that? Correct. Yep, with design controls. Correct. Uh, okay, so again, guys, uh, we are running short on time, but Emika, you have raised your hand, and I, I will not say no to anybody who raises their hand. So please go ahead and share what you have in mind. Yeah, appreciate it, Naveen. I, I actually came up here with a question, not so much a comment. Uh, Florian, I, I believe you mentioned earlier, uh, he was sitting on a uh, uh, some sort of a steering committee for an ISO standard. I didn't catch the ISO standard. I believe it's what ISO eighteen nine sixty nine, right, Florian? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, with okay. that, I appreciate that. With that, guys, I know we have a lot to talk about, and we always feel this way. But I'm going to be respectful of your time, so I, I'll give Florian a few moments to think about some closing comments. But I want to share with you a few housekeeping points because many of you are joining for the first time. We meet every Friday at eleven a.m. Eastern. So. You know, you can put it on your calendar. You don't have to register. You don't have to be invited. Just show up. And if you cannot show up, know that a recording and a full article with key insights will be available on the Let's Talk Risk newsletter. You can subscribe to that newsletter using the link in the comment section for this particular event. Uh, And you can uh, receive these insights on a weekly basis. Finally, I want to again invite you to raise your hand and join me as a guest speaker. Guys, no preparation needed. Florian and I did not spend an hour preparing for it. It is supposed to be casual and conversational. Just show up, share what you have in mind, share your expertise and insight. Uh, With that, Florian, go ahead and please uh, share any closing comments you have. Yeah, thank you, Naveen. And also uh, thanks for all of the comments and questions. I think this makes the whole format really valuable that we also include and discuss so uh, i really like that and as naveen said uh, yeah join join uh, in being a guest at uh, this event and share your experience uh, this is really a cool thing to do i would say and Thank you. i'm also respectful of your time so the only thing that i want to point out and i think uh, a few people mentioned that in their own comments uh, we have to align processes, and in order to do so, we have to speak with each other. So speak mm-hmm. to your colleagues from the different departments, 
and work together and uh, we'll figure out a way to uh, achieve compliance. But if you don't do that, then things might not work. That is such a great, great uh, comment to make to close out. I appreciate it, Florian. Guys, thank you so much for attending. Thank you especially to those who raised their hand and came on board to share their perspective and, and uh, insights. I love this conversation. It energizes me and I love this. That's why I do it every week. Uh, with that, guys, thank you so much. Have a good weekend ahead and uh, stay tuned for insights and recordings in the Let's Talk Risk newsletter. Thank you so much. Uh, looking forward to connecting next week. Bye-bye, everyone.